This podcast is sponsored by PCRT Live, April 28th through May 5th. Listen for more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman, Professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College in beautiful Western Pennsylvania. And I'm here with my co-host, Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America uh, that meets in Harrisonburg, Virginia, in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley, in the half of the state that isn't known as the People's Republic of North Korea, I believe. Uh, that is correct. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> We're in the free state of Virginia. The free state of Virginia. Mm-hmm. Well, it's great to have uh, one of my fellow countrymen on as a guest today. Uh, I Googled his name earlier in order to try to get his up-to-date title, and the first thing I came across was an online petition calling for his firing. Uh, So, you know you're in good company when you Google a man's name and the first thing that you see is that that he needs to be fired. And I think the the, the petition garnered a whole 561 names. Amazing. Uh, I was tempted to sign it myself, but I saw it was closed some years ago, so I was not able to add (laughs) my name. Five years ago, I think. Five years ago. It is, of course, uh, the, the inimitable, irreplaceable, Reverend Melvin Tinker, who was for many years uh, not just a thorn in the side of the Archbishop of York, but uh, vicar of St. John Newlands, an Anglican church in the United Kingdom. Uh, He's since retired, and he is now Director of Theology of the Christchurch Network in the beautiful and idyllic English city of Hull. Uh, If you've never been to Hull, Think of it as it's like it's um it's the Camden, New Jersey of England. I would say it's. Uh, it's I hope that, that's it's good. That I, I don't know. Oh, oh it's it's uh, you're you're up there with uh, Denver, Colorado, and uh, oh no 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 no. Yeah, okay. Camden is. Uh, yeah, I've only I was saying uh, on an earlier program. I've been to Camden three times. Once to go to the zoo, Ooh. twice because I took the wrong turn off the uh, the turnpike late at night. <laughs> I was very glad to refine the turnpike and get back yes. on the turnpike at that well, point. Well, may I put it, I think it's a terrific city. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think it was on, uh, in, in Britain a few years ago, there's a very famous um, and very popular comedy series called Blackadder. I don't know if, if you came across Oh, yes. It. I grew up on Blackadder. Oh, well, there was one um, episode um, when the, um, the, the test was... Um, for, for uh, Hugh Laurie, who was a sort of dopey private, uh, dopey officer in the First World War, and um, trying to sort out wh- wh- who was the German spy. So the test question was name three uh, of the uh, two of the great universities, uh, two of the three great universities, and uh, the answer was Cambridge, Oxford, and Hull. 
Now, of course, he, he failed because um, he, he actually thought it was Oxford uh, and, um, and, and Cambridge, when in fact it was Cambridge and Hull. So they knew the fact that, you know, everyone knows Oxford's a dump. As a, a as a Cambridge <laughs> I man, I, as a Cambridge man, I, I don't see any problem with that. You know, I always, I'd always put holes somewhere above Oxford. So it's one of the three great universities. There you are, yes. called to Edmund Blackadder. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's great to have you with us, and uh, we want to talk today about uh, your wonderful uh, little book, that hideous strength, which addresses the issue of of cultural Marxism uh, within society and within the church, and the way in which it is transforming. Uh, the conception of the gospel, even in some quarters. Wonder if you'd like to to open us up by just telling us why did you feel the need to write it? It's already in its second edition. I think you you you, you produced a, a more thoroughgoing edition after mm. the first one. Why this book? Why now? Well, um, it actually began when I was invited to give a uh, an address on the subject at the Global Anglican Future Conference in Jerusalem in two thousand and eighteen. Uh, which is really trying to get together all the Orthodox um, uh, people, you know, sort of leaders uh, from the Anglican communion around the world. And so I was asked to, to, to address this, this topic. So I did that and uh, I just happened to send off the, the paper uh, to um, the, my publisher, um, not, not with a view for it to be published, but simply thought they may be interested. And I, I, I got a letter back pretty well straight away saying, look, please expand this. We need to get this out. This is such an important book. It's, it's, uh, it could be an important book. It's highly accessible. Uh, people need to know uh, what's going on uh, in Western society, why we are where we are, and this will help them. And so on the back of that, I wrote the first edition. And, um, uh, and there are a few, I, th I think, justifiable uh, criticisms. Uh, and one was that it didn't have footnotes, references, I wanted references, but it was the publishers that said, oh, no, people don't want references. Well, they were wrong. Um, and also, I thought it's, uh, I mean, things move on even in a few years. Um, I mean, not least, of course, uh, Black Lives Matter and, and what happened uh, last year. Um, so uh, there was plenty of scope for, for, for updating it. Um, so, I mean, my conviction is that, um, well, from a Christian point of view, that if we're going to minister the gospel effectively, we must under the, understand the culture in which we are ministering. I, I mentioned to you before we came on to there, my son is uh, a minister, uh, is, a, is a missionary in a Southeast Asian country, I won't name it. Uh, but obviously, if he's going to be effective there, he's, he's got to know that culture, not only the language, but what you know, the traditions, the way of thinking and so on. Similarly, if we're going to stand, understand Western culture, what's happening, particularly in the United States and United Kingdom at the moment, then one of the key um, things we've got to understand is the fact that a revolution has occurred, it succeeded, and the revolution is called cultural Marxism. So I, I was, I've been tremendously helped by the book, and we've, we've given out a lot of copies to folks because as a, as a pastor in the United States, this is very much a pressing issue. Um, uh, I, I serve in the Presbyterian Church in America, and, and we are experiencing divisions over some of the very things you raise in this book, whether we call it cultural Marxism or wokeism, mm -hmm. um, critical theory, critical race theory. Um, we have brothers that are wanting to push these ideas as helpful interpretive grids, if you like, for helping us apply scripture better, giving us a, a cultural hermeneutic. 
Um, and of course, for many others of us, we are very troubled by um, these things being pressed upon upon the church. And, and in a little while, I, I, I want to talk about just how you would answer those who say, you know, th- there, there can be a, a helpful relationship between the gospel and these kinds of ideas. I, I want to talk about that a little bit. But first of all, you know, some folks um, I, I know would be very curious to know um, how you arrived on the title. Obviously, if you're a, if you're a C.S. Lewis fan, you are, you know, that the, the title of your book um, is immediately recognizable. But I think it's interesting why you chose that deliberately as your title. I wonder if you would explain that. Yeah, sure. Well, at the heart of cultural Marxism is the idea of, of what's called uh, hegemony. Now, this was um, a key concept which was devised by Antonio Gramsci, an Italian um, Marxist, uh, back in the 1920s. And um, in contrast to, say, classical Marxism, which believed that the way in which you brought about revolution is essentially violent. This was uh, Engels' um, view, this was Marx's view. And um, Gramsci called this um, a sort of war of maneuver. So that's the traditional thing, storm, the Bastille, the, uh, or, you know, the Winter Palace or whatever it is, and, and establish um, the new government. Now, Gramsci said, no, actually, there's another way, um, a more effective way, uh, and what he called the war of position. So it's important to position yourself in society. Uh, and this involved this, this idea of say, hegemony. And the idea of hegemony is that there's a particular ruling group which exerts its influence and control over people through non-coercive means, primarily through education, through the media, and through marketing. And, and so it, it, in, in order to do this, one has to occupy what we call the, um, you know, the sort of high um, command um, positions of culture. Um, both in terms of, you know, cultural institutions, particularly universities, the church is key, um, as well as civil institutions like uh, the courts, uh, the police, uh, and and uh, and social services, and and so on. Now, um, as I was thinking about this, and and it was one night actually, you know, it was that twilight zone when you go into sleep, and this idea of a ruling group influencing people in this rather subtle, coercive way. And they just came to me. That's what C.S. Lewis wrote about in That Hideous Strength. Now, that was back in 1945. And he had in mind, particularly the influence of, of an elite, if you like, scientific group. Um, and using technology was basically to remake man in their own image, uh, separate from nature, uh, going over and above nature. And um, Lewis really key, key to this was was the idea that behind this were, were demonic forces, uh, eldritic forces, he, he referred to them in, in the book. And he, it's interesting that he, he used the um, title that he did strength, which was taken from um, a poem that was uh, written in 1555 by Sir David Lindsay, a poem about the Tower of Babel. Um, I think it's something, you know, that, that hideous that hideous strength cast its shadow six miles or more in its length. And that then made me go to, back to, to Genesis 11 and, and, the, and the whole Tower of Babel episode, because there you, 
it seemed to me you've got this wonderful lens by which to understand the way in which mankind rebels against God. It's not simply that here we have a tower which is trying to build up towards God. Um, no, the ziggurats was quite the opposite. It was a way of, as it were, bringing the gods down and, as it were, domestic, domesticating the gods, bringing them under their control. And that seemed to me then to tie in very much with what is actually has been going on, where you have this gr elitist group ruling, particularly ruling lair, um, which is basically trying to dominate, to shape uh, our, our culture by capturing culture so that we start to view ourselves differently. We're trying to break down all the sort of categories and the, uh, the boundaries that God has set up, which is exactly what you see happening there in the Tower of Babel story. A bit long-winded, but you, you see where, where it... No, no, I, 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 I was out. fascinated by your explanation in, in the book and it made so much sense uh, because it's exactly what we're seeing uh, certainly here in the United States and, and of course, across Western Europe as well. Yeah. Where do you see the, the church complicit in this, <laughs> Melvin? I mean, that's one of your yeah. major concerns. It's, you know, it's one thing for this to be happening in the culture at large and, you know, the culture at large has, has always had a somewhat problematic relationship to, mm. to the true gospel anyway throughout history. Where do you see this particularly having an impact on the church and in Britain? I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah. We, we don't expect you to comment on, uh, on America, but in Britain, where is this? Where is this biting ecclesiastically? Well, ecclesiastically, in the established church, the Church of England, and it's, it's absolutely key that Church of England is, is captured to some, to some degree. I mean, in, in our country, I mean, church going is pretty low anyhow. And uh, the influences of churches are, are, are now insignificant now because of the secularization process whereby the institution and religious ideas have been pushed further and further to the margins of society that simply don't come into people's thinking. But nonetheless, we have an established church um, and with bishops in the House of Lords. So it's partly part and parcel of of the way in which the whole of the United Kingdom um, is structured. Uh, and therefore, to, to capture this is one of those, those key, um, you know, cultural centers. So, and, and in fact, it is effectively being, being captured. Um, to give you, well, several examples from, say, the Archbishops of Canterbury and York. So, um, a, a few synods ago, um, uh, Justin Welby um, lamented his white privilege and that we need to repent of white privilege. Now, I look at Welby and I think, well, actually, you've got other privileges that you don't seem to be too worried about repenting of. Uh, the fact that um, he managed to get to Cambridge University uh, with a levels much lower than mine, you know. I mean, I think it was. I think he had a CD, CD and an E or something like that. Which you tell me, he went grades. to an he went to an elite private school. I'm assuming he went to a certain point. school called Eton. Yeah, uh, and his his his, his uh, uncle happened to be the master of the college he went to, and his mother was ah. secretary to uh, Winston Churchill. I was. It does help to have friends. Now that to me is privilege, and Excellent. that is to use your privilege, uh, mm. but. Nothing of that. Um, and um, more recently, one of the things you find 
it's happening in your country and, and our country. And again, it's a, it's a symptom of cultural Marxism. And that is the victim, uh, the, the, the victim culture, that it is now virtuous to be a victim. Mm. And if you are a part of a victim group, you cannot be questioned. And as a result, um, what is happening is that everything is politicized and weaponized, even tragedies. So we've had, a, um, it happened uh, uh, last week, uh, a, a young woman was kidnapped in broad daylight in London and she was killed. Uh, she, the, the, they've, they've caught the abductor and he was a policeman actually. And so uh, he's going to go to court. Uh, now that has been politicized um, because straight away uh, there's been, there were, there were um, protests uh, made from women uh, how vulnerable women are, how oppressive men are, even to the point of one um, woman in the House of Lords saying there ought to be a curfew on men going out after 6 p.m. at night. All men. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're taken seriously. But then comes in the Archbishop of Canterbury. And on the back of this, he talks about the, 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 the sin of male violence. Now, that's wokey straight away. Yeah. Um, but we hear nothing about the gospel. Everything is, 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 is seen in these, in these terms that it talks about white fragility, all the woke terms. Um, that, those, that's the vocabulary now of General Synod. That's very, uh, very disturbing. Very disturbing. Uh, and we're seeing the same thing in the United States. I mean, we just had uh, a series. Uh, there was a, a, a young man who, who killed uh, eight people. Six of them were um, Asian women. Um, sex workers, but nevertheless, image bearers of God. And, mm. um, and then two white individuals. Now the, the murderer was a, was a white young man who used to frequent those places. And he was also a member of a conservative church. Um, and so there were clearly, uh, he had some entirely responsible for what he did, but we've got clearly a, a disturbed young man. But however, what, what's been done now, and this is coming from people in my own denomination, is that this is an indication of, of white white supremacy. This is a manifestation of complementarianism, of, of this is a, a manifestation of the theology that believes that there are different roles within the church for, for men and women. Uh, and so it's been seized upon uh, by, by people in, in an otherwise conservative denomination like my own, Presbyterian Church in America, to advance a narrative that the problem here is, is you know, what the Bible says about you know, office holders in the church. Yes. And, and simply recent, I mean, um, I think simply, yes, last week, uh, the Church of England are, are going to set up a task force to uh, root out systemic racism in the Church of England. Mm. And if there are any offending statues or uh, memorials to, um, I don't know, dead white guys right. uh, who happen to have some association with slave trade, mm. um, then um, one's got to look very carefully and, and get those things taken down. Now that's that's what happened. That's happening. Yeah. And I get think, rid of John John Newton's hymns. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, yes, yeah, quite well. They're going to. I have to seen. Go. I have seen a call actually for something like that. Sorry, really? I was uh, thinking. Do you not do you not realise that actually John Newton was John Newton precisely because he repented yes. and repudiated what he was, and was then involved in the moves to to get the uh, the slave trade well, abolished. I think in England, I mean, the education is so low at the moment that they probably think he was the guy who invented, you know, discovered gravity. You know. <laughs> 
all those fig bars. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> now, now the way you set it up there, Melvin, you know, one of the things that, that does concern me on, on one hand is that the term cultural Marxism, I fear that at times it functions for the right in the way that white privilege functions mm. for the left. It's a very cheap insult. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I wrote a couple of years ago mm. was a piece on, is Tim Keller a cultural Marxist? And I, in that article, I said, you know, I don't agree with a lot of Tim Keller mm. stuff, but I think it's slanderous to call him a, a cultural Marxist. Yeah. How do we, you know, as Christians, you know, the ninth commandment sure. uh, seems to be the one that most Christians, you know, after, after the Sabbath commandment, the ninth commandment is the one that most Christians ignore. Mm. How do we as Christians take seriously the challenge of cultural Marxism without ending up miscalling or even slandering those with whom we happen to, to disagree? Mm. In other words, how do we engage in intelligent discussion with those <laughs> we disagree rather well, than resorting to the name calling that, that characterizes you know, the Twitter world? Sure, example? sure. Well, I think, first of all, it's important to know what we're talking about. And, and I, I think some are simply taking this as, a, as what Jim Packer would call a boo word, uh, and, and, and just using it, to change the metaphor a bit, for a stick to beat people with. Marxism is bad, uh, and, uh, and therefore let's, uh, let's tar some of our brothers with that term simply because they take a different approach to perhaps some others on uh, issues, for instance, of social engagement. You know, I'm, I'm very happy with a lot of Tim Keller on this. I'm critical on some of the things. But, but as, you, as you say, that is cheap. It is, it is untruthful. Uh, and it's sloppy. It's sloppy thinking. Anyway, we, we, we need to understand what we're talking about. We've got to get that clear. Um, and I think the, 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 um, the, uh, the, the opposite reaction, which I've seen coming from America, uh, is, is wanting to avoid the term cultural Marxism because it's seen as anti-Semitic. Um, and, and therefore, one should, be, should use the term critical theory rather than cultural Marxist because of uh, anti-Semitic um, overturns. Now, I don't agree with that um, because I, th I think the moment, if one starts to use the term critical theory instead of cultural Marxism, one is presenting it as some sort of abstract idea. It's something abstract, critical theory. It's very academic and detached. And secondly, it obscures the true nature of the beast. We're talking about something which is essentially Marxist and to do with um, the, um, basically the, the, the overthrow and the undermining of all those good things in society, which keeps it civilized. And it's also cultural. It's by changing the culture that changes the way we perceive things, the way we feel about things. And then the revolution is, is pretty well complete. You can then move from non-coercion to coercion. Um, so, okay, let, let's be, let's know what we're talking about and yet let's just use these terms um, incisively and, uh, and bang on target. And, and um, you know, th there, there are folk who are within the church <laughs> who are uh, cultural Marxists. I mean, their agenda is cultural Marxism. So, you know, why spend time aiming at the wrong targets like Tim Keller and, and taking cheap shots? And let's do some vigorous thinking um, and uh, vigorous critique of, of those who really do need critiquing.
what would you see as, as the, maybe the central ways in which um, the efforts to import cultural Marxism into the church, at least what you see on your side of the Atlantic, what are some of the, what, what, what are the key ways, the most destructive ways that, that it impacts the gospel itself? As from your observation, Church, I, I have a feeling that they'll be identical to, to what I see over here on our side. But, but what are the, the key areas where cultural Marxism okay. undermines the, the gospel itself? Well, a number of um, ways, really. Uh, first of all, uh, a very crucial one um, is, is that it de-gods God. I mean, th mm. that, is, that is the thing, that God is no longer the one who is uh, sovereign, uh, the, the great discriminator, as, as the Jews uh, call him, um, who, who has the wisdom, the power, the right to declare male and female, for example, uh, to de declare what is right and what is wrong, um, and uh, to order his universe in a way which will result in human flourishing as he deems it and as we're, we're, we're made. So basically at the, at the level of, it, it, one ends up with a, um, a, a totally different conception of, of God for a start. So that's, that, that's something which is fundamental. The second is, is the nature of the gospel itself, that uh, the gospel addresses human beings as those who are sin-soaked um, human beings, whose hearts are twisted and turned inward and away from their maker. And therefore, there's a call to repentance and um, as individuals to repent. And once repentance has occurred and there's a turning towards Christ in humble trust and obedience, uh, trusting in his, his death on the cross and his resurrection for us, then there is forgiveness. The problem with cultural Marxism is that because um, people are, are organized into, into groups, and particularly that certain groups are by their very nature rendered to be oppressors, okay, to be a white privileged male, for example, you belong to that group, um, then you are guilty just by belonging to the group, no matter what you are like as an individual. Even if as an individual, uh, you, you, it appears there's not a, a racist body, bone in your body, you do charitable things and so on. It's an irrelevance. You belong to the wrong group. And therefore, repentance and forgiveness is not possible. The group must be abolished. Um, so it, just on those two points alone, it, it, it rips out the heart of the gospel. Um, it results in idolatry. It results in the gospel, which leads to reconciliation and transformation, is, is removed because in order for cultural Marxism to thrive and to continue, it's parasitic on there being constant, this constant conflict between the oppressors and the oppressed. It's parasitic on that actually happening, whereas in the church, through, through Christ, we are meant to be brought, we are brought together in true unity and in true harmony and to work that out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, and what you described there um, is, is a metaphysic. I mean, cultural Marxism is a metaphysic. It's not just a, yes. a, a list of things that we can 
pick out the most helpful little thoughts. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's a metaphysic. It's an all-defining sort of meta-narrative that tells us who we are, tells yep. us our place in the universe, gives Ooh. us an idea of what corrupts us and what the proper response is. And, and this is what I try to plead with people about on this topic is that cultural Marxism, critical race theory are, yep. are not just a list of ideas that we can no. pick and choose. It, it presents for us a, a cosmology. Really. Absolutely. That, that, was, that was a point Rod Dreher's made, of course, you know, that mm-hmm. we're talking about a different cosmology and they are in conflict. There, there is no reconciliation here. It is, it is anti-gospel and I would say it is therefore anti-Christ. And interestingly enough, Gramsci described socialism in religious terms. He said socialism is a religion which must overwhelm Christianity as a religion. Yeah. And so you, you've got a conflict here, and, and it's an irreconcilable one. Now, that's not to say, like in anything, that there, there are not some sort of insights, but, but I would argue that one could probably just, you know, discern those from, through, other me, through other means. So general it, revelation. Like <laughs> um, y- yes, general yes, revelation. General, general revelation and indeed special revelation. That's mm-hmm. absolutely right. We, do, we don't need this, which is, which is one of the most destructive mm-hmm forces that's been unleashed. And I believe that behind it, as going back to what we were saying at the beginning and the title of the book, is that hideous strength. And we're talking about the principalities and powers. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about the, uh, you know, to, uh, the uh, Sequoian uh, to Cosmo, you know, the, 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 the principalities of the cosmos, the principalities and powers which are at work. Um, it's deceiving people, it's destroying people. When you think of the targets, the church is a target, the uh, family particularly is a target to yeah. destroy the target. And, and to, to, to aim at the, you know, the whole business of the, you know, the transgender thing coming out now, to cause the, to collapse the, the distinction between male and female, which I believe is, is part of, and I, I'm, I'm with Bart on this uh, to some degree, um, what it means to be in the image of God is, is fundamental. It is an attack, therefore, on God himself through his image bearers by destroying the notion of them being image bearers. Yeah, and, and it goes back to uh, the original rebellion in, in Genesis 3, you will be as God. And this is exactly what's behind the trans movement, the LGBT. Mm-hmm. LG, yep. you know, homosexuality, gay marriage. This is, these are all, you know, as you, you, you said earlier, de-godding mm. God and replacing him with me. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I couldn't agree with you more about the incompatibility of, of this system, of these systems of thought uh, with the gospel. A little bit back uh, yeah. to what, what the, the question about um, how is the church, as it were, colluding with this? I think, yeah. There are those that are actively colluding. They, they, some of them don't know what they're doing, so they're what uh, Lenin called use, useful idiots, although some of them are useless idiots, to be honest. But anyway, but they are useful idiots um, because they're simply on the progressive bandwagon and because they've lost the gospel itself, they've got to have some sort of gospel substitute and this has come along. And, you know, you, you're going to get plenty of friends uh, if you if you make all the right sounds sure <laughs> but, the, but there's also a collusion in 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 more subtle ways and it, i may get into trouble for saying this but i was quite <laughs> shocked um after the um 
the, the killing of George Floyd and you had the riots and everything in, in, uh, in, in Minneapolis and Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. The various um, places. Um, and I, I, I'm sure I'm, I'm right that, that I think the gospel, it was the gospel coalition that had a series of, of prayers yes. uh, which were broadcast. Uh, and it was simply using the, the same the, the vocabulary and the categories yeah. of, of repentance, of, of white privilege. And, and I think that was wrong for a number of reasons. One, not only are you buying into the narrative, the main thing is that you're actually promoting the narrative. And uh, one of the key um, ideas of, of Mark Cusa, uh, one of the great um, proponents of, of cultural Marxism, is what he said, we must uh, break the established universe of meaning. And that means capturing people's minds by, cap- by, by capturing the language. Um, and so certain terms are out of bounds so that people can't think in certain ways and express their views, but also that you then replace them by other terms. And therefore, it seems to me that if the evangelicals then start to uh, basically use it in their liturgy, and this is what it was a liturgy, uh, a woke liturgy, then you're actually affirming it and all that goes with it. Um, and I think that was, that was a very irresponsible thing to do, no matter how sincere the people were. And I was quite shocked when I saw that. Yeah, I, I was shocked by so much of it. And, and what it does is it helps to ultimatize race over our identity oh. in Christ. And it, it yeah. undermines uh, the gospel in numerous ways. Yeah, it's been very, very troubling as people have sought to, in some cases, with sincere motives, trying to navigate the, the, the pain and the horror of some of these things. And yet we see how crafty an enemy we have when he uses some of these very well-intentioned things uh, as an active way to undermine the gospel. And that's precisely what's been happening. And of course, you see it very much in your world, in the Church of England, and we are seeing it very much here among otherwise conservative denominations, the Southern Baptist Convention, the Presbyterian Church in America, yes. and, and others. And so, th- and this is where we are thankful for, uh, for your book. Um, and I just want to say to our listeners one more time, uh, the, the, the book is That Hideous Strength, How the West Was Lost, The Cancer of Cultural Marxism in the Church, the World, and the Gospel of Change. And uh, it's a book that we've given away before because uh, we very much appreciate this book. It's timely. And uh, if you'll go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you can register to win uh, a copy of this wonderful book by, by Melvin Tinker. I, I will say it is, a, it, is, it is an accessible book. It is, it is written for a popular audience. It is not a big, thick monster that will scare you away. This is intended to get into the hands of, of lay persons and pastors um, so that they can understand the, the, the current moment uh, where the gospel's probably the gospel's chief enemy at the moment is, is this, uh, cultural Marxism, uh, critical theory, wokeism. Uh, these are right now uh, represent the, the, the main tsunami that's coming against uh, the gospel and the unity of the church and the message and the mission of the church. And so please get your hands on this book. And um, Melvin Tinker, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Keep up the good work. Um, you, you're making the right enemies, I suppose. And so that's probably uh, yeah, a good thing. Plenty of them. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's like Carl. Carl has all the right enemies. Um, uh, I'm one of them. Um, unfortunately, he drives me bananas, but uh, he's impossible to live with right now because he's got this big bestseller, as you know. I know. I, I yeah. I, and uh, it, is very good. Okay, so it is a very good book. Buy it. Buy it. It is, it it is. is excellent. It, yeah. <laughs> It is. Um, but uh, again, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, um, uh, please go to our website, enter to win a copy of this excellent book. And uh, until next time, we look forward to being with you again on Mortification of Spin. There's something happening here. But what it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. Telling me I got to beware. I think it's time we stop, children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Great. Well, we, we want to just talk to you primarily about cultural Marxism, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah. It's a freewheeling conversation. Okay. Uh, it is recorded. So if you say anything uh, you regret, we simply keep it on file and use it to blackmail <laughs> you indefinitely into the future. The um, usual stuff, you know, the that usual stuff. Yes. You're good at doing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, other than that, thanks so much for coming on and thanks for being flexible. No uh, problem. I just went so. out and cleaned my car. So it's nice okay. and shiny now. Great. This podcast is sponsored by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, presenting Delighting in Our Triune God, the 2021 Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology, live streaming on Facebook and YouTube April 28th through May 5th. It's PCRT Live, featuring Michael Barrett, Jonathan Landry Cruz, David Garner, Richard Phillips, Jeffrey Stuyvesant, and Todd Rester. The Trinity is quintessential Christian doctrine, yet we live in a time when increasingly few believers are well-informed about it. The Reformed faith has placed the Trinity at the very center, so don't miss this timely and important event. Delighting in our triune God, live streaming on Facebook and YouTube, April 28th through May 5th. No registration is necessary, but for the conference schedule and links to join in, log on reformedevents.org. That's reformedevents.org.